are listening to First Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everybody. I'm so humbled by those words, Pastor Anthony. I, I, I don't know what to say, but I am honored to have you in my life. I'm honored to have you a part of my ministry team. And uh, thank you. I wrote it all down for you, and you said it just like I wrote it down for you. It was beautiful. It's all right, Dave. I got some stuff I'm writing down for you, too, okay? Oh, I love you guys. I love you guys. I love you guys. It's so good to see you all today. I'm so humbled to uh, be a part of this body of Christ. it's been such a strange year and we're all isolated more but I want you to know a lot of times on Sunday I see you and I'm kind of like a like like your dog when you left him in the house all day and you get home and he's just like (laughs) I feel like that on Sunday a lot of times I've thought about you during the week if I know something's going on in your life I'll I'll be praying for you that week Um, I'll be kind of carrying you in my heart um, if you if you support the church, um, I get a list every Monday. Uh, or uh, well, there's, there's some changes now since uh, we're Tammy's working remotely, but um, I get a list every week of every person who has contributed to this church. And since it's a list, I, I, if you give anything to this church and you put it in an envelope, put your name on it, or your name is attached to it, I pray over you every week because it's a great list and the church needs money, so I just start with that list. <laughs> but I do, that sounds terrible, I know, but it's just, y'all talk bad about me later it's just like you get in a list every week of people and it's a much bigger list than just the things you know going on in people's life if you're hurting I, I know you and I know I will carry you in my heart um, sometimes I'm praying for you in a in a, a direct way and sometimes every time you're coming to my mind I just I, it's like a softening in my spirit toward you and I may just say Lord keep them Lord make them strong Lord help them but I'm ha- I'm carrying you in my heart is anybody else having allergies right now? Yes. It's ridiculous, man. I, th- I thought I was going to die of COVID, and I think the dumb grass pollen's going to kill me. It's, it's ridiculous. It's such a crazy time. We are having to be more careful. Uh, we are peaking again in, uh, in infections, and I know we're all sick of it. We're sick of it, sick of it. But people we know are dying, and uh, we cannot just be lazy. We have to take care of one another. We are our brother's keeper. Um, whatever that means, uh, however you interpret the CDC guidelines, I'll leave that with you. Uh, but I, I want you to know we, we, there, there is risk and we are seeking to take care of one another. And uh, as if this year wasn't crazy enough, it's a political year. And this week we're all going to be um, either casting our vote uh, or some of us have already cast our votes. Um, we should do that. That is the manner in which our society is organized. And I'm thankful for a a democracy. I'm thankful for the American Republic. I'm thankful that we have an opportunity to express our views. Um, I do, however, want to acknowledge that this is politically the craziest week of every four-year cycle. And there is more uh, political craziness. They call it political silly season for a reason uh, this week than any other week. And so thinking about it, praying about it this week, I realized that I could use the reality of something we're all experiencing together 
the reality of something we all are being exposed to together to teach us a spiritual principle. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk with from this principle. This is the principle that I am trying to use current affairs to illustrate in your life. So the principle is this. Uh, we cannot be spiritually minded and carnally focused. We can't. We can't. It is uh, the antithesis of two worlds. It's uh, opposites of two worlds. For us to be spiritually minded believers and yet live carnally focused lives. So I want to say it again. It's impossible for us to be spiritually minded and carnally focused. We will, all of us... Uh, either serve God or mammon. We will not serve them both. And because of that, this principle becomes foundational in our life in that if we are going to be God's people, somebody say, I want to be God's people. I won't say it again. I want to be God's people. If we're going to live as God's people, that comes with lifestyle consequences. That comes with things that will incline us to spiritual usefulness and things that will incline us to spiritual folly, do you see? And so the things that would help us uh, would be to live lives, found, uh, live lives where we truly have built upon the rock of ages. We have, we're taking the principles of the Word of God and we are living with them as our foundation stones. We're not being blown about by every wind of doctrine or influence, trend or a habit that is coming through our lives, but we are founded upon an acknowledgement that this world is not our home and that we are here with spiritual purpose. We're not here by accident. God has not somehow forgotten to take us home from the mall and like teenagers left to their own devices, we're hoping maybe mom will come pick us up. No, we are here with purpose. We are here as steward sons. We are here as kings and priests. And therefore, we have purpose and mission in the here and now. And that is not to fulfill the values of this world, but to manifest the values of God's world. It's not accident that the church is here. God has not, you know, failed to make the rapture project happen. No, it is all in God's plan and it is in his heart that we would manifest his values, the kingdom's promise. We would manifest the heart of God through the church because the church becomes the body of Christ. That is not an accidental uh, image. Christ walked in the flesh. He was God born in the flesh and he did the works of God in the flesh. What were those works? He proclaimed liberty. He spoke healing. He delivered. He saved. He made a difference in the here and now in the hope that people would see the value of another kingdom. He did this in his body. He lived 33 years and he did these works in his body. He raised the dead in his body. He fed the 5,000 praying over the loaves. He manifests the power of God in the flesh. And he said, it's good for you if I go away because as long as the primary manifestation of God is in a single point person moment, it is limited to the constraints of that. 
But he said, it's good for you if I go away because then I can be as a Shekinah. It's as though, remember the temple, the tabernacle, there is in a holy place that is made hallowed by the focus and discipline of the people. They hallow it. They hallowed that temple. That is what we do to the name of God. That's why when we're taught to pray, we say our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We treat him as different, as holy, as glorious. There is none other like him. And so in this place of Shekinah, the people of God have made it hallowed. They have holy, made it holy unto the Lord. There's the presence of God. And so God says, I'm going to wash you. I'm going to die. My sin, uh, my blood will cover your sin. Therefore, allowing you to become the holy of holies and fill you with my presence. No longer limited by a physical body, but now spread through you all by the power of the Holy Spirit and you become partakers of the divine nature. Having done that, how is the representation of God in the earth? It's through the church. The church has become the body of Christ, the manifest body of Christ. And the church prays the prayers. And the church feeds the hungry. And the church embraces the broken. And the church makes room for the orphan. And the church celebrates the promise. And we are the church. Can I have an amen? If we're going to live as the church, we cannot, we cannot be spiritually minded and carnally focused. And the challenge for us is to be in the world, but not of the world. The challenge for us is to be in this world, but not focused upon this world. Uh, I just want to take a moment here and pray. Lord Jesus, I am praying that as people of faith, we would learn how to keep our affections on things that are above. I believe there's a great harvest available to the people that are in this church. I believe there's great opportunity of ministry and spiritual uh, breakthrough where a difference is made in someone's life. But Lord Jesus, the enemy's continual job is to get our focus upon that call, up off that call, our focus off that mission, our focus off that promise, and get us bound up in junk that don't matter. Lord, give us wisdom to see through the lies of hell in Jesus' name. And someone give me some agreement in this house all right Matthew 22 Jesus has entered the city of Jerusalem why is he here is it for some sort of random visit that he is here no he has told his followers why he is going to Jerusalem because he has a missional purpose he's going there to be a lamb slain and innocent blood covering sinners. He, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. He has a redemptive purpose in Jerusalem. Somebody say it's not random. He has a redemptive purpose. He has a mission. The disciples have struggled with the mission. They've wrestled with it. They've really had to get their heads wrapped around it. They've tried to talk them out of it. Jesus refuses to be turned aside. Jesus refuses distraction. He is single-minded, and he shows us the way. He is single-minded, single-focused, and he shows us the way. Whatever you, wherever you are, uh, you have an opportunity to manifest the kingdom of heaven, but the enemy's job is to get you distracted and focused upon the kingdoms of this world. You're called to manifest a realm above this realm, and hell's 
Continual focus is to get you thinking that this realm down here is the one that matters. And we, as people of faith, lose spiritual effectiveness when we live as though this is the world that matters rather than the kingdom of God. We are called instead to manifest that kingdom in the confusion of this one. And so uh, Jesus here is entering the city. He is showing us a life of redemptive purpose. And more than that, he is inviting us to follow his example and pick up our own crosses. What's that image of a cross? It's not just the effort of, the cross is a very specific, um, specific, specific image. And it's so often for us to think of carrying our cross as us um, becoming better Christians in the sense that we no longer do this bad, we no longer, and now we're better Christians. That is not the cross in your life. Uh, I, I know that can be received controversial, controversially and is not, it is not my intent uh, to uh, really in some sense have an argument over this, but I want you to see uh, Jesus doesn't go to the cross to make himself better. Jesus doesn't choose the cross so he can finally please God. The cross is not about Jesus' effort to improve himself. The cross is about the difference he can make in the sinner, the difference he can make in the broken, the difference he can make in the lonely. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives. By his stripes we are healed. Our crosses are not about self-perfection. Our crosses are about others-focused. Our crosses is about the difference we make in the world. Jesus doesn't carry a cross to finally complete his own perfection. No, he carries a cross because no one else is perfect but him. And he's not broken because there is some value in brokenness as a essence. No, he's broken because all of us are broken. And there is this redemptive work happening where Christ becomes our righteousness. Another message, another time, but I want you to see you are all invited to carry your cross. What is your redemptive purpose? What difference can you make? You can pray the prayers in your neighborhood. You can speak the faith in your family. But if you're caught up in the junk down here, then you will miss your opportunities to be like your Savior and carry a cross of redemptive purpose, reflecting a a heavenly kingdom in the here and now. All right, I'm sidetracked, but it's okay. I didn't get to preach last Sunday, and so you have to suffer while I preach two messages on one uh, Sunday. So politics becomes uh, a teaching example that we're all living through. So let me show you a story in the life of Jesus, um, and it is after he has come into uh, the city. Why is he entered the city again? Redemptive purpose. It's not random. He's here with mission at the forefront. Uh, but when he gets here, uh, he is going to be distracted. He is, there's going to be an attempt to distract him away from mission, and the two most dangerous subjects of the human experience are going to be used to embroil him in a bunch of stuff that doesn't really matter. His face is fixed. It is like a flint. But this stuff is the junk that is surrounding him. And the two great subjects whereby friendships are destroyed and families are separated are, you guessed it, politics and religion. And so both of them are going to be brought against him right now. Here is the first one. We are in Matthew 22. Uh, This is the uh, reality of um, the politics side of the attack. Pharisees plot. This is verse 
15. They plot how they can entangle him. That's Matthew's language. Uh, they send their disciples with the Herodians. Now, the Herodians is a fancy historical term referring to people who support, supported Herod as the right political entity in the moment. Uh, the zealots said Herod and Rome should be overthrown. The Herodians supported Herod, and there were those who supported the Roman Empire. They 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 had more influence among the Hellenized Jews or the Jews influenced by uh, Greek culture. Uh, and so the trap is this. Let's make Jesus be trapped by politics. And Jesus perceives their wickedness. Verse 18, he says, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Why do you test me, you hypocrites? You don't really care about this. This is all a show. Their religious people are most ugly when they involve, when they embrace some type of moral posturing for the sake of making themselves look good. We lose our influence in the community when we take on a type of moral posturing. Jesus said, you don't really care about this. This is all a game you're playing, playing here. You are hypocrites. Bring me the tax money. Only one kind of money you could pay taxes with. Uh, you couldn't pay taxes in crops or chickens or uh, the coin of other empires. You had to use the coin of the Roman Empire, a denarii, uh, Daenerys, and it would be stamped with the image of an emperor. And Jesus says, whose image and inscription? They say Caesar's. And he says this, and this is so powerful, we could do a series just on this statement. Alas, we are not taking time today, although I would enjoy it much and you would suffer long. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. We are always, as carnal people, mixing up the things of God with the things of the world. And we think that the things of the world can do for us only, th they can do for us that which only God could do for us. This mixing and trying to look at things to satisfy when there is no satisfaction in things. It's not the nature of a thing to satisfy. There is a spiritual satisfaction when creature meets creator and spiritual wholeness is found in your fulfillment of God's gifting to you and your embrace of God's presence upon you. Now you have a chance at finding satisfaction and fulfillment but we get all of this wrong and Jesus cuts through the confusion and he says all right render unto Caesar what is Caesar and what unto God what is God's now here is uh, something that we can miss in this story it can sound as though Jesus is just kind of taking no risks here as if he were to say look let's just let's just not risk the empire coming after us and let's just say pay your taxes and worship the lord but there's a problem with this part of the politics of the time is whether or not the people of an oppressed nation uh should worship caesar uh, there's a lot of history here where uh, they tried to bring an inscription of caesar into jerusalem and the religious leaders and uh, the pharisees uh probably the largest group there was pharisees they met the emperor out or the 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 centurion the army outside the walls of Jerusalem and there they uh, they they stood before the gates and refused entry to the inscription of Caesar and they were threatened with death and uh, the some of the soldiers pulled their swords and uh, these religious people these 
people that we would in many ways admire, uh, they, they, they tore open their, their, their robes, they bared their chests, and they stood there before the Roman soldiers with their necks uncovered and their chests bared, uh, and they bared their hearts and bared their throats, and they offered their, their chest and their throats to the swords, and they said, feel free to kill us, but do not bring an inscription of Caesar into the city. You see, that was a great political issue, and what Jesus is doing is not taking uh, low-risk position. He's not saying, okay, let's just move on. The low risk is pay your taxes, yes. The high risk is only worship God. Now, we don't weigh this because we don't worship our leaders. This doesn't weigh heavily upon us because we're not threatened with death if we don't worship some political uh, personality uh, within our day and time. Thank God that uh, our society has moved on a long ways from believing that politicians are the answer for the world today. I just would like to say, if you think your politician will save you, honey, you are smoking crack. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, I uh, heard a story about a young man who went to a college counselor. He said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with my life. And so the counselor said, let's give you an interview. And they did the interview. And what came out of the interview was this young man loved to take things apart, but he hated to put them back together. The counselor said, oh, I have the perfect career for you. You should be a politician. That's my political joke for the moment. Uh, So I just want you to see that politics are necessary because we're trying to do business down here. Politics are messy because it's us doing the business. But at no time should we ever believe that politics are an answer for the world today when we are so desperately broken and our politics testify of our brokenness. We are so desperately lost and our politics testify of our lostness. Do you see? Politics destroy Christian community. I really don't want to preach about politics, but I want to use this common moment that we're all living through as an example of just how messed up we are end up in a spiritual state when we try to mix the things of God with the things of this world. This world will never satisfy. This world will never give you contentment. And if you think it will, it's because you haven't had enough of it yet. One of the illusions of the young, and I've been there, I've been young, and I still like to think I'm young, although most people laugh when I say that thing. Um, But you haven't experienced enough yet, so you think if I just had more, then I would be happy. And I would say, yes, I'm sympathetic to this longing. I was young once and I wanted more of everything. I wanted to experience, I wanted to do, but I would like you to have a little mental game here that you play and think of the people who have experienced the most and ask yourself, are they the happiest of us? The people who have the most of everything you may want, are they the happiest? Unfortunately, they often have broken homes and drug problems and mental health issues. And unfortunately, too many Too many of them take that last terrible tragedy of taking their own life. It's more complicated than more. I want to say it again. I want to say it spiritually. I want to say it with anointing. Uh, There is limits to what more of what this world could ever give you. It can give you more, but it cannot make you whole. And can someone give me a big amen? We have to render unto God the things that are of God. And we have to render unto man the things that are of man. And the problem is when we confuse these two things, it does not 
Uh, the spiritual side of us does not survive the carnal embrace of our lives. The reason why prayer, daily prayer, is so important, it is, as, is, it, it is truly to act out a daily ordering of your values. You pray about what you're facing. You pray about what you're going through. And prayer allows you to place a, a, a order of spiritual values upon your life. If you do not pray every day, it's going to be very difficult for you to maintain the spiritual discipline of order in your values. So it is that fasting is how the flesh prays. Fasting is how the flesh prays. And uh, our spirit prays through words, but our flesh prays through fasting, so to speak. Odd way to think about it, but there's something there that is helpful when we turn away from this world and we order our lives. God alone be worshiped. We cannot worship the things of this world, be they Caesar, be they career, be they lusts of the flesh, be they money in the bank. We cannot worship Caesar. It is all short term and an ultimate, ultimately it is all mocked by time. But God before Abraham was, I am. He alone can order our lives. So real quickly, and I'm going to try to make a point here with this common experience we're all living through of this political moment, uh, and that is this. I want to show you how politics destroys Christian community. Now, you guys know I don't take political sides from the pulpit. You know I have my politics. You know I vote, but I don't take sides from this pulpit because I am not going to offer Caesar as though he has anything to say in the house or kingdom of God. And so I've never gone to a church. Uh, I grew up in this church. We never made politics a part of our platform. And so I received that in my mother's milk, so to speak. Uh, I want you to know, however, we do not deny the world of Caesar. We place that which is appropriate there in that realm. But worship is something we only offer to God. Worship is something we only offer to God. Real quick, three ways politics destroys a spiritual community. Uh, the first way is this. Politics recreates a community of contempt. Uh, we dismiss whole groups of people on the illusion that we know them. When we do not know then. I want to say that again. I know you're thinking about it. Politics invites us to recreate communities of contempt. Where we are dismissive of whole groups of people on the illusion that we know them when we do not actually know them. How do any of us arrive at our politics? I'm using politics as a teaching example. How do any of us arrive at it? I'll tell you how you arrive at your politics. They grow from the soil of your experiences. So if you grow up in a, in a place and you're exposed to a lot of bad policies, you will have opinions and values that are fully derived. They grow out of that experience. If you grow up in a home where you are taught very much to work in your community and help people who are less fortunate than you, you will grow up from those experiences with the values of those experiences and your politics will reflect that you received politics from experiences however when your neighbor when your neighbor reviews your politics i curse this grass pollen that's going around right now tree pollen in the spring grass pollen in the fall Go forth, thou art healed. 
Um, when they see your politics, they don't think of why you may feel that way considering what you've come through. They think they know where your politics are taking the country. So then rather than them having empathy for your experiences, they have fear according to your values. And so all of you probably have friends who have different politics than you, but you know how they grew up. And it makes perfect sense to you that they have those politics. Why? You know how they grew up. Now, you view that person with empathy. Why? You know the story. You know the journey. But your other neighbor, you don't know why they arrived at that. And so all you have toward them is a type of contempt. My title today was simply this. The neighbors are nuts. Politics invites us to create this environment where we view other people as a statement of our fear about their decisions. Do I want you to see, do you see what's happening here? Politics is me having fear as a result of your decisions, your votes. And so all I have at the end of the day is I don't understand my neighbors. My neighbors don't understand me. We've agreed not to talk. And the result is some people end up in relationships where they lose lifelong friendships over something as dumb as that which is of Caesar. There are people in families who cannot talk to people in their family because of that which is rendered unto Caesar. This is a perfect example of how the world of the flesh destroys the realm of the spirit. And politics destroys Christian community. Why? Because what should have been empathy has been morphed into fear. What should have been acceptance and love and preference one for another. I know where you came from. I know what you survived. I know what you are living through. I know what you are facing. I know, I know, I know. But this is what I would say to you. I'm afraid of where you are taking us. And therefore, we destroy a community of faith on the basis of what we think we know one to another. Feel, uh, politics cure, kills an environment of understanding and empathy and replaces it with an environment of fear and blame. Secondly, politics becomes identity. This is an error. Your politics should not be your identity. Let me read Genesis chapter number one, uh, verses 26. I'm going to read from the message translation so you'll hear the scripture with new ears. Let us make human beings in our image. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. But we can choose an identity of politics, and we can hate one another over politics. We have mixed 
the realm of man with the kingdom of heaven. Our identity should not be found in a political party. Our identity should be found in this. We bear in our very bodies the image of God. And whether or not I agree with you, I have to respect the very stamp of Godness that has been placed upon you. And for the church and for Christians, this is so necessary because if we walk through the world carrying ourselves in such a way that we're fighting over the things of this world, we will receive all of the hatred and animosity of this world's battles. Isn't it interesting that Paul, a Jew, ministered to Gentiles in the years after Rome had destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and they had been scattered through the whole world and not one time in any writing does Paul ever say one bad thing about the Roman Empire that destroyed his homeland. Have you ever thought about that? Why? Because it wasn't about a homeland and it wasn't about Rome and it wasn't about Israel. Let me tell you what it's about. There's this man named Jesus who was more than just a man. And I don't care if you forget my politics. And I don't care if you forget where I come from. I am here to tell you that Jesus makes all things new. My identity is in Jesus Christ. We give to Caesar the things of this world. We pay our taxes, but we give only, we give to God our worship. No worship to this world. You are called to be a worshiper. You are called to separate the things of this world from the kingdom of God. And you direct your worship, you direct your praise to the kingdom of God. Paul would say it like this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, let me tell you the one you quote, because you grew up King James like I did. You quote reasonable service. Let me give you how it's often uh, uh, quoted or translated. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How about Psalms 29? Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. How about Psalms 95? Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. How about 96 of Psalms? Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. How about Psalms 99? Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. He is holy. I'm going to vote, but let me tell you, my political choice is not an answer. It is a symptom of our brokenness. It's not a healing for the world. It is a symptom of the brokenness of the world. Oh, but Jesus, there's no other name like Jesus. It's the sweetest name I know. It feels my every longing and keeps me singing as I go. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him is no other. Jesus is the way. This, and our musicians can come, leads us to the third great error of politics in spiritual community. Politics can become idolatry. Now, this doesn't sound right to us at first because we, we don't worship. Uh, yeah, we, we think of idolatry as something 
ancients did. They worshipped animals or trees or the like. We don't do that, so we feel free of idolatry. But the New Testament is surprisingly full of warnings against idolatry. The New Testament is surprisingly full against warnings, full of warnings against idolatry. And so I want you to see that uh, we can be worshipers of idols even in the New Testament. So how would that look for us? I apologize again for my allergies. I know it's a distraction. Um, How would that look for us? Modern idolatry is whenever we seek something only God can give us from some other source than God. I want to say that again. Idolatry in this day and age is when we seek the things that only God can give us from any other source besides God. And so that is the modern idolatry. Um, So perhaps you would think to yourself that uh, if everyone would see the world the way you see it, it would be a better world. If everyone would have the politics I have, then it would be a better world. Uh, If everyone would vote the way I vote, do you see how politics becomes a teaching example of how we mix up God's kingdom? with this kingdom of the flesh. If everyone thought the way I did, if everyone voted the way I did, no, that's an idolatry. Only Jesus is going to make straight the broken paths of this world. Only Jesus is going to make whole the broken hearts of this world. Do you see? Only Jesus is going to be the one who is able to take this mess and transform it through his healing power and present us faultless before the throne of his glory with exceeding joy. What do we do with politics? Well, as a church, it's very important that we keep the things of Caesar in the house of Caesar. And it's very important that having done our civil duty, we let them go and focus upon the kingdom of God. I preached a message a few a few months back and I used the illustration of that story of how to move a asteroid if there was an asteroid threatening the earth how would we move it um, and uh, Princeton did a study I believe it was Princeton they did a study on this and they realized that if you just could cover it with reflective um, if you could put tin foil all over it or even if you could paint it a light color that the hit the photons themselves would move it and so what they said was just uh, paint it white and let it go or covered in tin foil and let it go to reflect that and the sun itself would move it out of its world threatening orbit I like to when I was preparing I thought that's what we have to do as a spiritual community we're not a civil community we are a spiritual community we are bound together by spiritual values we are people who have agreed to walk together saying let's help each other focused upon the kingdom of God not the kingdoms of this world we have chosen to walk together to help each other to be reconciled as a testimony of our spiritual transformation we are told we we have chose to walk together to choose to get along We have chose to prefer one another. We have chose to make space for one another. We have chose to embrace one another. And all of those things become testimony of the gospel we claim that has changed our life. If you have love one for another, then shall all men know that you are my disciples. We have chose to do life together. Politics is just another thing that takes our attention off the kingdom of God and invites us to be focused upon the 
the things of this world. That is not the path of victory for your journey. That is the path of frustration. That that is the path of despair. So say this in your heart with me. I'm going to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but I am going to render unto God the things that are God. He alone will I worship. I am a worshiper. He alone will I exalt. I am a worshiper. He alone will I praise. I am a worshiper. I'm going to come into his presence with thanksgiving because I was made for this. I'm going to come into his courts with praise. I was made for this. I'm going to be thankful and bless his name. I was made for this. For the Lord, he is good. I was made for this. And his goodness is is everlasting. I was made for this. I will not let the confusion of this world take my mission. So in the story I told you, 22 of, of, of Matthew, and I'm almost done. In fact, you can stand with me. In the story, Jesus gives up on arguing theology and politics with Pharisees and Sadducees. And how does he do this? He, it's almost as though he decides he's not going to change them. So the best thing he can do is rather than let, watch this, rather than let them distract him, he will distract them. <laughs> let me say that again. Pharisees and Sadducees, they want to distract Jesus with politics and theology. Okay. At the end of the chapter, Jesus kind of quits trying to fight with them. And instead of them distracting him, he distracts them. He gives them a riddle. And this is the riddle. How can David be the father of the Messiah and also the son of the Messiah? How You can read it in the end of the story. Let me, let me real quick. The Pharisee, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said, the son of David. Jesus said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him. And what did Jesus do? He jumps right back into saying what matters. I'm not going to let you distract me. If you can't change, I'll distract you. (laughs) Ponder on this. And for the next few days, the CPU cycles of their brain are just, you know, when you upload your computer and it's just grinding and grinding and grinding. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are just grinding and grinding and grinding. Uh, What do you mean? The Lord and the Son. The Son and the Lord. The Lord and the Son. And Jesus, it's almost as though he's like, all right, now that that's dealt with, he never answers them. Because his actions are going to answer them. He's going to carry a cross to the top of Golgotha. Jesus doesn't give them an answer with his mouth. He picks up a cross and he carries it to the top of Golgotha. And there between heaven and earth he is crucified. Until finally he lifts his head and says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken the meat? Nevertheless, into your hands commit I the Spirit. That is how the Son of da- how David calls the Son of David Lord. That's another message. The church must be those who feel the earth with worship. We feel our neighborhoods with worship. We feel our workplaces with worship. We understand all the stuff going on. 
but we're not about all the stuff going on. We focus upon the kingdom of God. You are invited to be a spiritual ambassador to your world. Don't get caught up in the junk. Speak to us, Lord Jesus. Yes. Let to wherever you are, why don't you just turn it into a little bit of a praise and worship prayer place. If you'd like to kneel where you are, if you'd like to sit where you are, if you'd like to stand where you are, just lift your hands. Our worship team is going to lead us in worship right now. All across this house, I'd like you to bask in the presence of God and receive his word into your life right now. Lord Jesus, I'm going to manifest your kingdom. Lord Jesus, I'm going to manifest your heart. I'm not going to get the things of Caesar mixed up with the things of God. But I am going to carry a cross of spiritual purpose into this world in Jesus' name. Anoint us for the work, O oh God. Anoint us for the work, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Right where you are, would you talk to the Lord? Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.